Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, several months ago, you did a series of programs on the flood. A series that included 15 programs. Yes, it was quite extensive. Mm -hmm. And in that series, you not only discussed the biblical account of the global flood in Genesis chapters 6 through 9, you presented summaries of several flood theories or models developed by creationists to explain the physical causes and effects of the global flood. That's right, Scott. And I do prefer the word models or hypotheses to describe the proposals creationists are offering to explain the flood at this time. What we considered were the catastrophic plate tectonic, the vapor canopy, and the hydroplate models. And since the hydroplate model in particular was most likely less familiar to many people, you shared a lot of information about it. Yes, I did. And now in this program, I'm going to do something I never like to have to do. Uh Uh-oh. And what is that, Dr. Scripture? (laughs) Well, I'm going to be correcting some statements I made related to the hydroplate model and the moon. And I also have to say that I've changed my mind about a couple of things I said in those programs. In other words, you're going to admit you were wrong about something? (laughs) That's not so earth-shattering. Well, thanks for that (laughs) ringing endorsement, Scott. (laughs) But seriously, even though I'm still chuckling, when I give incorrect information, I consider it crucial that if I learn of my mistake, I then correct it. So with that said... As part of the discussion about the effects of the fountains of the great deep bursting open, mentioned in Genesis 7, 11, the hydroplate model proposes that material from the surface of the earth reached escape velocity and struck the moon, producing the large amount of cratering we see on the face of the moon. And repeating what I heard on a hydroplate presentation, I said, that explains why there are more craters on the side of the moon facing Earth than on the dark side or back side of the moon. Okay, may I ask a clarifying question? Well, sure. What do you mean by the side of the moon facing Earth and then the back side of the moon? How is there a front and back side on the moon? Well, that description is from the Earth's perspective. On Earth, we only see one side of the moon. And it has to do with the synchronization of the rotation of the moon and its orbit around the Earth, caused by the gravitational attraction between the Earth and moon. The gravity between them acts like a rope attaching them together. Imagine attaching a basketball to a rope and then swinging that rope around and around. You would only see the half of the basketball where the rope was attached, right in the center. You would not see the back half of the ball. Well, that's the same dynamic that occurs between the Earth and the Moon. We only see half the Moon. The other half, the back side, is often called the dark side of the Moon. I've heard that term. But what that means is it's dark to us here on Earth. It isn't actually any more dark than the side that faces Earth. In fact, when we see that tiny little sliver of light on the Moon when it's a new Moon, if you could see the other side of the Moon, you'd see a full Moon, Hmm. totally lit up by the Sun. That is a fascinating thought. You know, thanks for clearing that up. Mm-hmm. So you were talking about why there were more craters on the side of the moon facing Earth, having something to do with the great fountains of the deep bursting open. Yes. I said the craters on the side of the moon facing Earth could be explained by material from Earth striking the moon. And that would explain why there are more craters on the Earth side of the moon relative to the backside. 
But the observed fact is there are way more craters on the backside of the moon than on the side facing Earth. Really? So now I need to correct that statement. And then what we're going to do is read and paraphrase a couple of excerpts from an article discussing this phenomenon. It was published and updated in September of 2022 on scienceabc.com. Scienceabc.com. The article is entitled, Does the Far Side of the Moon Have More Craters? The far side of the moon and the near side of the moon clearly shows that there are some stark differences between the two lunar sides. It wasn't until 1959 that humans first saw the far side of the moon, courtesy of the Soviet spacecraft Luna 3. Differences between the two sides were immediately clear. First of all, the far side of the moon did not have any appreciable lunar maria. Lunar maria are the huge black spots that can be seen on the near side of the moon. There were also considerably more small craters scattered over the far side of the moon than on the near side. Okay, I'll stop there for a moment. So what we now know about the cratering on the moon is, the craters appear to be much larger on the side of the moon facing Earth, but there are far more craters on the backside. Okay, so Dr. Scripture, you've corrected what you said, but that doesn't answer the obvious next question, which is, why are the two sides of the moon so different? Excellent question, Scott. Frankly, there are several proposed answers and no consensus. But let's see what some scientists say. Reading from the scienceabc.com article again. When this discovery of the far side was made, many scientists began to scratch their heads to come up with a reason for the heavy cratering. One of the first widely accepted theories was that the Earth shielded the near side of the moon from asteroids, so the far side had to withstand more impacts. But when the calculations were done, it was found that the Earth only covers a small part of the moon's night sky, certainly not enough to shield it from oncoming asteroids. So after finding out that the Earth couldn't have shielded the near side of the moon from all those asteroids, scientists studied the matter more rigorously. They tentatively agreed that both sides of the moon received the same amount of asteroid impacts, but something on the moon caused the ones on the near side to disappear. It was soon found that the crust of the near side of the moon is much thinner than on the far side. Since the crust is so thin, the lava could come out of it and pour into the craters, effectively filling them. In other words, even though both sides of the moon received the same amount of asteroid impacts, it was the far side, with its thick crust, that was left with their memory. Whereas the near side and its thin crust used the lava to fill the craters and heal itself up. Okay, I'll stop there now. What the article then talks about is evolutionary-based proposals as to why the crust has a different thickness on the front and back sides. But what I want to address is the hydroplate model proposal, that material from Earth itself, when the great fountains of the deep burst open, is what caused the Luna Maria to form. What are the Luna Maria again? They are the huge, dark, and relatively smooth areas we see when the moon is bright. And some of those lunamaria are huge. The one called the Sea of Storms is larger than the Mediterranean Sea. Wow. And that area was produced by a lava flow? Now that's a lot of hot rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and those lunamaria scattered on the surface of the moon that face Earth 
are what kind of look like a face, the so-called man in the moon. Exactly. So the evolutionary explanation is asteroids striking the surface of the moon, facing Earth, as it was forming over the period of about a half a billion years, caused eruptions of magma through the moon's crust. The hydroplate explanation is it was asteroids from Earth, if that's what they call chunks of Earth hitting the moon. I'm not sure what they call them. But anyway, those rocks from the Earth struck the moon, causing the eruptions, forming the Luna Maria, and covering what had been a pockmarked surface similar to the backside of the moon. However, what causes a big question to arise in my mind is the claim that rocks, asteroids, large enough to cause the impacts evident on the moon could achieve escape velocity. You know, I had simply accepted that idea as possible when I heard it. But when I looked into the physics involved, I have to admit I'm not convinced that it's possible. And Scott, I don't really expect you to know this. I certainly didn't until I researched it out. But with only an initial burst of speed, no rocket engines to continue increasing the object's velocity to help overcome the Earth's gravity, how fast do you think an object would have to go to escape from Earth? Okay, I'll venture a guess. How about 10 times the speed of sound? I don't remember what the speed of sound is, but that's pretty fast, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's a good guess, Scott. <laughs> the speed of sound is 767 miles per hour. That's pretty fast. Yeah. So you're guessing something would have to be going over 7,500 miles per hour to escape the Earth. Well, you're only off by about threefold. Oh, wow. <laughs> Earth's escape velocity is Mach 33. That's about 25,000 miles per hour. Wow. Put another way, that's just under seven miles per second. Think of a place about 420 miles away. For example, that's about the straight line distance from Chicago to Nashville. At escape velocity, that trip would take one minute. Wow. Can I book a flight on that jet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be nice to get around that fast? Sure. Now, another way to put that kind of propulsion in perspective, the faster speeds for a bullet shot from a gun is about 1,800 miles per hour. And larger guns, like artillery cannons, are considerably slower than that. So with those kinds of dynamics in mind, could explosions of, granted, super-pressurized water through the crust of the Earth when the great fountains of the deep burst open propel asteroid-sized pieces of Earth 25,000 miles per hour such that they escaped Earth's gravity and flew into space? That seems extremely unlikely to me. I'd be interested in finding out what the force behind such an explosion would have to be. But now having said that, Remember, I've changed my mind before. I'm not claiming it's impossible. You know, for example, we have found on Earth rocks from Mars. That would mean that an asteroid or meteor impact on Mars caused material from the surface of Mars to reach escape velocity. Escape velocity of Mars is about 11,250 miles per hour. That's less than 45% of Earth. But still, some rock was propelled that fast off the surface of Mars. So, Dr. Scripture, have these differences in what you said last year in your discussion of the hydroplate model changed your opinion of that model? You know, Scott, not really. In fact, as I've continued to study it, I find more and more of its features compelling. I just wanted to share with our listeners today, one, the error I made when describing the moon's surface, and two, the reminder 
that the nature of science is change. We seldom have all the information to make our hypotheses and models and theories. And when we get new information, that information often requires adjustments to those models or even their abandonment. Scientists' tendencies are to credit their proposals with greater application than what is observationally merited. And giving up those proposals can be difficult. What I try to apply to my own ideas, and I'm not always successful at this, is I'm not infallible. I've had to change my opinions countless times over my life, and although I don't know which opinions they are, if I did, I'd change them right now, (laughs) I'm pretty sure in the future I'll learn I'm wrong about several other things too. That, I believe, is a good scientific mindset to maintain. And not so bad an attitude to keep in mind concerning some of our opinions about what the Bible means. There are always new things to learn from the limitless depths of God's Word, and sometimes learning something new may require altering what we had previously believed. I agree with that. We must avoid becoming too confident in ourselves. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.